0: I have to apologize in advance, I was at my niece's wedding yesterday, you guys have met McKenna, she's been around here a little bit, her new husband Colton has been around here a little bit, but we were over in in Reno for that wedding and kind of helping set up and tear down and we didn't leave Reno until like 11.30 last night, (laughs) rolled into the house about 3.30 this morning and uh, got a few hours of sleep. But if I'm completely incoherent this morning, you'll, you'll know why. <laughs> um, just, yeah, that's right. Make me feel better about my incoherence. Now, we're going to continue this, this series that we've been on, this Q&A series, which I think is starting to uh, wrap up. I think, I think I'm almost to the end of our questions. It's been really good, really great questions that, that not stopping today, uh, lots of good questions today that we're going to cover, but there's a lot to cover. So let me pray for us and we'll get right into it. Lord... Thank you for our time of worship. Thank you that we get to honor you with our voices. We get to reflect on what you're doing and what we hope you do among us and in our community. We just want to be people who are are grounded in your truth, that even when the the world around us kind of influences us with, with other things that they would call truth that we would always hold to your truth, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's hard to talk about, even when there's emotional uh, involvement in some, uh, some of these things, that we would, above all else, be people uh, of your word, that we would live by it, that we would speak it, that we would help you breathe life into others as, as they understand the truth, Uh, because it's really the thing that will transform. Uh, It's the thing that will give them true life. So we want to be all about that. As we look more into your truth this morning, Lord, just let it penetrate us. Uh, If we need to change our uh, ways of thinking about certain things, please change those things. Um, Help conform us more into the image of your Son. pray this all in your name. Amen. So uh, let's get right into it. We've got a few questions that are um, sort of related in a lot of ways here's the first one. Uh, If you are forgiven for all sins when you believe or follow him and follow him, why does it say in certain passages, this sin will not be accepted in the kingdom of God? Let me start with the picture that the Bible gives us of those who are in Christ. If you are in Christ, uh, truly in Christ. Let me be very, very clear about that. Not just putting on a label of, of, of Christian, not just having maybe grown up in the church and, and done kind of the cultural Christianity thing, but you're truly a believer. You are in Christ. The Bible says some very, very specific things about you and me, like Colossians 1:13 and 14 says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness. He transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We live in a spiritual nation of people, um, not a physical nation, but a spiritual nation, uh, that we are forgiven, right? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. We live in a nation of forgiveness, that we forgive others, but it's because we've been forgiven. That's where our grounding is, right? That we are a group of forgiven people. We have the status of forgiven people. He rescued us. We were those, the whole world needs to be rescued, but we were the ones who were actually rescued, right? We have redemption in him. We've been taken back to him, even though we were far from him. And we have forgiveness of sins. And there was absolutely no possibility of leaving this status. That is our status now. It was our status yesterday. It'll be our status two years from now. We will always be in this place where we are forgiven. We are forgiven people. Even though most of the world uh, lives in kind of a nation of, of darkness, we live in this nation in which uh, we have been stolen away from the darkness. And so we are forgiven. We are freed from sin's hold on us. Colossians two thirteen and 14 says, uh, and when you were dead in your wrongdoings and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him. Having forgiven us all our wrongdoings, having canceled the certificate of death consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When we placed our faith in Jesus, we fundamentally changed as people. God forgave, he let go of any wrongdoing that we had ever done, any wrongdoing that we will ever do. There's a, a picture here of like a list of charges against us which I can't even imagine what my list of charges looks like, but it has to be like crazy long, right? And it's not just the charges that were against me prior to coming to Christ, it's the charges against me for my whole life, all of the sin, all of the wrongdoing that I've ever done. And that list has been, for me and for you if you're in Christ, has been eliminated, it's gone, it it doesn't exist anymore. It was a wall between us and God, and that wall has been completely obliterated. It was nailed to the cross. When Jesus died, that list died. So every sin separating us from God has been dealt with. The cross broke it down. So the only possibility, I'm just going to throw this out, it's kind of a weird possibility, would be someone undoing the power of the cross. That's the only way that it could be overturned. is someone going back and somehow undoing what Jesus did on the cross. Is that possible? No. The most powerful being in existence, in fact, the being that has all power, nailed that list to the cross. No one's getting that nail out of that cross. No one's getting that list off that cross. It's not going to happen. It's not possible. No matter what we do or no matter what others do. Hebrews 10 14, and then we're going to skip to 18 says, For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Now, where there is forgiveness of of these things, an offering of sin is no longer required. Maybe I'm not going to measure up, right, to his standard. What, What if I do the wrong kinds of things? What if I do some of the things that I think this question is suggesting from some passages we'll look at here in a second? It doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter Sin is no longer the issue between us and God. It's been taken out of the way. There are no more requirements for us to fulfill. We don't have to make additional sacrifices in our life. We don't have to do some sort of thing to continue God's good pleasure towards us. We don't have to do that. We've been perfected, which literally means completed. The work is done, it's over, it's finished. The Levitical priests in the Old Testament couldn't even sit down, they were so busy. Constantly making sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, and it never ended. They couldn't stop. There was just too much sin to atone for. And Jesus completed. For us, it's done. We are sanctified, period. We are holy, period. The work is done. Jesus completed that work once and for all. And no additional work is needed. Nothing is needed to maintain that in the future for us. It's done. Now, let's throw a little tension to this here. This is where the question comes from, I think. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the habitually drunk, nor verbal abusers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I don't think Paul could be clearer. Can we agree? Like, I don't think he could be clear. These people who are these things will not inherit. The kingdom of God. He is not equivocating here. He is not saying, "Well, maybe they won't, or whatever." He's like, he's super clear. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians five nineteen through twenty one says, "Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, hostility, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and." Th- Things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't think he could be clearer, right? I mean, he's super clear about this. Those who choose to live their lives in these ways will not inherit the kingdom of God, period. Ephesians 5 5 and 6 says, For this you know with certainty, that no sexually immoral or impure or greedy person, which amounts to an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. See that no one deceives you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. I, again, don't think Paul could be any clearer, right? He's not equivocating about this at all. Those who are these things in this list, they do not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. They are not joined with the saints in this inheritance that we have, and all that they can expect is wrath from God, just like all we could expect prior to coming to Christ was wrath from God. I don't think he could be clearer. But we have to understand in all of these passages, they don't end where I ended them. Let's go back to this one, right? The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Sexually immoral, adulterers, homosexuals. Nope, you know what? No inheritance in the kingdom of God. But look at verse 11. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Right? Right? We know this, right? We know this reality. We're like, yeah, (laughs) that was me, right? That was me. That's not who I am anymore. True Christians, true believers, those who are in Christ are not those things anymore. The people of God don't live that way anymore. Kingdom citizens aren't any of those things. And so you might go, well, what if I'm a believer and I have sex outside of God's plan? I, I have sex before I'm married, or I have sex with a person of the same sex, or I have sex with someone who's not my spouse. Well, that's not you anymore, so stop it. That's not who you are, right? Just stop doing that. Well, am I no longer a Christian? Of course you're still a Christian, like C.1, right? The Colossians 1.13, you have redemption, you have forgiveness. Of course you're still a Christian. Galatians 5, uh, Galatians 5 said all those very clear things, right? The, the deeds of the flesh are evident. You know, sexual immorality, indecent behavior, witchcraft, anger, dissensions, right? Like all these things. But then look at verse 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The unbelieving world around us, they are literally enslaved to their passions and desires. They're driven by them, and there's no way out. They don't have a way out other than through Christ. They cannot control their passions and desires. The only way a person who's outside of Christ, their passions and, passions and desires are controlled is if there's greater passions and, and desires that overcome the initial passion, passions and desires, right? I always think of like, Drug abuse, right? Like you have someone who's, who's a drug addict, and eventually maybe they get clean. Well, why do they get clean? Because their life sucks so much that they're like, I've got to get out of this, right? Their deeper passion takes them away from that passion that they had. They're enslaved to it. There's no avoiding it. But we who are in Christ, we don't live by that anymore. We're not enslaved to our passions and desires anymore. We were once a child of darkness. That status meant that you lived in a certain way. We all lived in a certain way. But now we are light. We've been fundamentally changed as people. Nate 1.0 does not exist. It is only this new guy. Now can I be an idiot and act like that old guy? Sure I can, but that's not me. It's not who I've been made. I've been made light. You have been made light. Well, what if I dabble in the darkness? Does that mean I'm back in the darkness? No, you're not back in the darkness. Remember, you've been perfected for all time. It has been nailed to the cross. Perfected for all time, right? That's us. It's done. It's taken care of. But that same passage that we were just in, uh, in Ephesians, if you look earlier, I like this phrase that happens actually in verse 4, he says that kind of stuff is not fitting for the Christian life. I love that picture. It just doesn't fit anymore. It's like clothes that just don't fit you anymore. Uh, toss those things out. Like you can't wear you shouldn't wear those anymore. And if you do, it's probably not going to look very good, right? It's not, like, not a good look, right? It's not who we are. We are light. So walk as children of light. We are not people of the darkness anymore. So don't live that way. This one, Ephesians five uh, says, you know, same thing: impurity, greedy. You know, it's the same idea, right? Look at look at what he says in verse seven, right after it. He says, therefore, do not become partakers with them, for you were once darkness, and now you're light. Don't be partakers with the rest of the world. The rest of the world lives this way. Don't be like that anymore. So, getting back to the nature of the question, it's not a particular sin that won't be accepted in the kingdom of God, because those whose sins have been forgiven, it's not an issue anymore. Those sins are not an issue anymore, but it's those who are still in the darkness, who do not have redemption for their sins, who are not accepted in the kingdom of God, and we need to be clear about that. It's, it's heartbreaking, right, because these are people we know. These are people we love. These are people we are extremely close to. In fact, at the wedding yesterday, I saw some people I care deeply about who are destroying their lives. That's hard, right? It's hard to, hard to see that. Hard, hard, to, hard to witness that slavery that they're in. It's hard. Next question that goes along with this. Same idea. If you get saved and then repeat sinful things, how many times can this go on if you know it's wrong? It's a good question. Let's look at Galatians 6. It says, brethren, if anyone is caught in in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. You see the picture here right away, right? Like, we as brothers and sisters in Christ at times, we will stumble, right? And when that happens, we need to lovingly, gently correct one another for the purpose of restoring one another, right? But at the same time, we need to look to ourselves because we are just as vulnerable as the person who stumbled, right? And that's why he puts in verse 2 here. He says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing he deceives himself so we bear one, another bur- one, one another's burdens in recognition that we all have vulnerabilities in the area of sin right we all can be attacked that way we all can stumble that way but let's be clear as christians this while we can stumble that way it's still not fitting for the christian life right we already talked about that but it is still possible in the Christian life, right, that we will stumble. It's possible that you might repeat a sin that you did prior to Christ, prior, prior to being in Christ. And that would be, you know, par for the course, because usually the things that, that we struggle with prior to being in Christ are the things that are still appealing to us after being in Christ, right? So our goal is to restore one another, be there for one another, and be careful, But there's a contrast here. While Christians can sin and do sin, let's look at Hebrews 10. It says, for if we go on sinning willfully, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Serious language, right? This is describing someone, the the Christian life of someone who goes on willfully sinning after coming to Christ. And I'm putting those things in quotes because what's being described here is not a Christian who goes on willfully sinning. It's someone who throws on the label for whatever reason. There's lots of reasons to throw on the label of Christian. Lots of reasons, especially in America. You know, if you want to be a nice person and be a church-going person or whatever, like there's, there's advantages to being a church-going person, right? In our country. Maybe that's becoming less of a thing, but it's still a thing, right? There's lots of reasons why you might. Uh, family pressure, right? Your, your family all loves Jesus. and well, I, I guess I got to at least pretend to love Jesus, right? I, I don't want to be the outcast here, right? But he says if you're if you are claiming to follow Christ, but you go on sinning willfully, willfully sinning like, yeah, okay, I know what you want, Jesus, but I don't really care. Then for you, it's, it's not my place to judge. It's not our place to judge one another. It's a place for you to go, hey, you know what? I probably need to look at myself and understand that fire insurance is not a thing. Guess familiar with that idea? Like, I'm going to just pray this prayer. I'm just going to say these words. I can tell you, I did that when I was five years old. I knew I was a bad kid. I was, like, stealing stuff from stores. I caught a, something on fire, and I felt really bad about it. Anyway, like, I felt like a bad kid, right? So, like, in my Baptist church, like, what you did if you're a bad kid is you walked the aisle to the front, right, when they give the altar call at the end. So I walked to the aisle, I went to the front, the pastor said, repeat after me. I, uh, thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you, God, for saving me. Uh, you know, like, I just repeated what I was supposed to say. My life didn't change one bit the day, a day later. I, I mean, there was nothing, that was not a reality for me. So, here, I believe Paul wrote Hebrews, okay? Don't throw tomatoes at me. I know, I know, I know Paul, right? He's got a tomato. He's, put that down, Paul, put that down. I think Paul wrote it, but, um, I think if you're someone here who you know at some point like prayed that prayer or maybe you've just been attending church for a while and you know that Jesus is not Lord of your life, he does not run your life, that you've gone, okay, I've got that fire insurance thing that I got, you know, this golden ticket by praying some sort of prayer or whatever And I don't care at all about what Jesus wants for my life. You need to hear Paul's words here. Not my words. You need to hear his words. You should only expect. You should not be expecting eternity in heaven. You should not expect that. That is a wrong expectation on your part. You should expect judgment. You should expect judgment. A fury of fire which will consume the rest of the world, right? The rest of the world can expect that. Just because you go to church doesn't mean you shouldn't expect that. If you go on sinning willfully, go on and your life is really about what you want out of your life, not what he wants out of your life, you should have no other expectation than judgment. And I know those are are harsh words, but they're real words. They're, They're truth, right? I'm not going to puff you up, make you feel good about yourself, and then you be a part of that group that Jesus talks about that's, that is standing in front of him, and, and, and they say, I know you, Jesus, and he's like, I don't know you. I don't want you there. I don't want you to be a part of that group. Not any of us. Don't be fooled. If your life is not his your life is not his, right? If you're a follower of Jesus who doesn't follow Jesus, you're not a follower of Jesus, right? If Jesus is your Lord, but you don't care anything about his Lordship, he's not Lord, right? Like, this is a weird reality that we live in the 21st century, that somehow we can talk ourselves into these things, right? If you're a little Christ, which is what Christian means, by the way, a little Christ, but your life looks nothing like Christ, then you're not a little Christ, right? If you're a person of faith, but you never live by faith, you're not a person of faith, right? I mean, does that just make sense? Like, why should we expect anything different? You should expect to join everyone else who is not a person of faith, right? If you know what God expects of you, but you don't care about what God expects of you, then you should expect nothing from him. True Christians, let's just be clear about this, true Christians care about what God wants in their life. Now, do we live that perfectly? No, we don't. But we care. We want to follow God. We want what God wants in our life. True Christians spend their life trying to follow Jesus wherever he leads. That's what Christians do. True Christians stumble in many ways but respond with repentance and thankfulness for God's forgiveness, right? We're talking about two completely different Christians, right? 1 John is really good on this. By the way, if you just want a larger treatment of this whole subject, just read the whole book of 1 John. This is 1 John 2. It says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you, you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, not just for ours only, but for the, those of the whole world. When we have Christian sins, we can be confident that we have Jesus advocating for us with the Father. We can have absolute confidence of that. Jesus fully and completely paid for all of that sin that I just did. That's the propitiation part of this. And his ability to pay, like his pockets are deep. He he has enough money to cover, okay? But look at verse three. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. We do what he says. The one who says I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought also himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. See, this is the reality that the first two verses here don't apply if you're not in him. Right? If you're in him, this completely covers all sin all the time. But I think we need to know whether we're in him or not. And I think we need to stop lying to ourselves, which is really what he's saying. He's not saying you're a liar like maybe you're intentionally trying to deceive people. Maybe you are. He's just saying you're not saying something that's true. Maybe you think it's true, but you're just not saying something that's true. You're saying an untruth. What does your life say about whether you're in Christ or not in Christ? Pay attention to that you're probably sensing, I really care about this issue. I really, really care about it. did youth ministry for, your, for years. And because in my own life, I was faking it for many, many, many years. I was partying with my friends on Friday and Saturday night and showing up on Sunday morning, and everybody thought I was this great Christian kid. I didn't care about what Jesus wanted in my life. didn't care at all. And I had a great passion to not see a single student who walked through our ministry ever be that way, or at least if they were going to be that way, that they had all full knowledge of what they were doing, that they were like, yeah, I really am faking it. It's not really real for me. Instead of coddling them and going, yeah, you're in Christ, right? And then they're going to stand in that group where Jesus is like, I don't know you. Like, that's not love for them. (laughs) Why would I ever do that for them? Instead, I'd rather shake them and go, hello, like, You're not a follower of Christ. You're not following Christ. Why would you say you're a follower of Christ? And if there's anyone among us this morning that that that's you, I honestly want to shake you, right? I want to say followers of Christ follow Christ. They just do. Not perfectly. But we want what he wants. We need to stop lying to ourselves. So kind of following up on the question here... In the end, it's not about how many times you've sinned. That's not really the question. The question is, how did you choose to live your life? Did you choose to live your life thinking about his way or your way? If it's about his way, it doesn't matter how many times you fail, his propitiation fully pays for it, all of it. If it's about your way, it does not matter how many times, how many successes you have in your life, how many good things you do in your life, it's all just a self-deception and his propitiation doesn't cover an ounce of your sin. Just know that and then make your choice. Who are you going to choose to follow? Are you going to follow him? Is he Lord? Or are you going to follow the other things in your life that you really care about? Sorry, you guys can tell I care about this, right? Last question, along the same lines. Who is Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, talking about? Who are the once enlightened? Hebrews 6, this particular set of verses, is a controversial set of verses in some ways because there are some in in Christian circles who would say, you know what, you can lose your salvation right? You can can come to Christ, you can have all the benefits of being in Christ, but at some point you cannot be in Christ. And usually that involves like denial of of Christ, right? Like like sin's not really the issue and uh, maybe perpetual sin might be an issue or whatever, but it's really, if you get to that point in your life where you're like, Jesus is not my Lord anymore, then you have to have lost your salvation at that point, right? And so those who take that perspective, by the way, I don't believe that perspective, I'll show you in a second why I don't. We'll go to Hebrew 6 frequently, because if you look at these few verses here, you might draw that conclusion, right? Just the way it's worded. Let's start in verse 4 here. It says, for it is impossible in the case of those who have been, uh, who have once been enlightened, that's part of the question, right? Who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift, and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. So those who uh, kind of take a position, they go, you know what, you can lose your salvation. They'll go, look, this is talking about a, a true Christian right, someone who is in Christ, we talked about this already, like he, they're in Christ and they're, they're Christians who have been enlightened, right, they, they know the truth, they're Christians who have tasted of the gifts that God gives us through the Holy Spirit, they've tasted of the Holy Spirit, like the Holy Spirit has lived inside of them and they tasted of what that's like to have the Spirit fill you and they know the Word of God and they, they have future expectations of hope and eternity, Like this is a Christian, a true Christian, and then they fell away, which is the wording here, right? They fell away from the faith, meaning they denied Christ, they walked away from Christ, they walked away from the church, then actually that person can never again be a Christian, right? Because it says it's impossible for them to come to repentance again right? They're just done. You walk away from the church, you are done. If you're a Christian and you deny the faith, it's over for you. They will never again be able to repent. They will never again be able to receive what Jesus offers them. You can see kind of how someone might walk down that road with this, right? I don't think that's at all what he's talking about. And I'll tell you what I think he is talking about, and then I'll tell you why I think even this text shows us that he's talking about this other thing, okay? I think the other possibility and the better reading of this is someone who joins the fellowship of believers, right, joins the church, you know, is a part of this thing, or they were born into the church, like they grew up in the church, right, so their family were believers, and they've been enlightened, right? You spend much time in the church and you learn about truth. You learn what the truth is, right? You partake of what this is about. You get to see the Holy Spirit working among us, the love and the joy and the peace that comes out of believers, right? There's something about being together, right? That's exceptional, right? It's the way God's working in each of our lives, the way the Holy Spirit is working among us. They've experienced that because they've been here, right? They've seen it. And then they walk away from the church. They fall away. And a lot of times, if you've grown up in the church, this usually happens at college because you've got all these pressures. Uh, In fact, when I was in youth ministry, we went to like a conference almost every year, and every year it got brought up, why are so many Christian kids leaving the faith? Like, all these statistics were always thrown out, you know, it was... It was always 60 plus, sometimes 80% plus, right? Like so many kids are leaving the faith. And every time I heard that, I was like, they're not leaving the faith. They didn't have faith to begin with, right? They just were in the church. There was this pressure to conform, which by the way, it's pretty easy to, to like, To conform to what we're doing here right it's pretty easy to kind of know what rules to to walk the line on and you know don't swear or whatever like that's not good like like we learn these rules pretty easily you grow up in the church it's really easy to follow those rules right but then they get out from all these pressures and they go to college and now they're in this group where people pretty much like them are like we're just going to do whatever we want and that person goes yeah Me too. I get to now live the person I truly am, which is I'm not a follower of Christ, right? I don't really care about what he wants. They've fallen away, right? And some people will, you know, they haven't grown up in the church, but maybe they've they've come to the church for a while and they've kind of conformed to this thing. They like the benefits of being in a loving community because there are benefits of being in a loving community. And then they fall away. I'll just throw this in here. Part of the reason why I'm passionate about this, some of you guys know my story, I think I shared it like when we first got here a long time ago, but, but my dad's a great example of this. My dad was like a pastor for two years, uh, we went to church, you know, every Sunday growing up. My dad was not a believer and it was super clear in his life, like every other day of the week other than Sunday morning, like... My dad was not a follower of Christ. He didn't care about what Christ wanted in his life. But then he'd show up on Sunday morning and give a fiery sermon where he's pounding on the pulpit because he was really charismatic and people were engaged in what he had to say. That dude didn't care anything about what Jesus wanted in his life, right? In fact, he was usually at the bar on Friday night or Saturday night, and then he'd show up on Sunday morning and do his thing, right? That dude wasn't a believer, but he could fit in, right? We can all kind of fit in with whatever group we're in, right? And so I think that what this is talking about is those who have come and been around this this life that's in this body, and they've seen it. And I think when he says impossible, I think he's overstating, right? He's exaggerating. And there is exaggeration in the Bible. It's kind of like this. Imagine that I was enlightened in getting to know Melissa, my wife, who's amazing, right? Right? I've tasted, I'm using words from the passage, I've tasted, I've like experienced how amazing she is, right? I've partaken in that amazing smile of hers, right? That makes me smile every time I see her smile, right? Like, uh, and her sense of humor is just, I just love it, right? Like, I've experienced that, right? I've tasted her cooking, which is off the charts, right? Like, it's, right? Like, I've experienced all this amazing stuff, And then I divorce this amazing woman, right? And by the way, in divorcing her, I bring shame to her, right? There's an assumption in me divorcing her that maybe she's not as great as she seems. Because why would I ever walk away from that, right? I'm shaming her. The chances of me remarrying her is super slim. Like, it's it's not going to happen. I could say it's impossible, right? I'm not going to remarry her. If I got to experience all that and I walked away from all that, I'm crazy, right? Which is true statistically, by the way. Only like 6% of divorcees ever remarry the same person, right? They're just like, I'm done. I think that's what he's talking about here. Like, not that it's impossible, but man, if you've gotten a taste of what this is, right? You've gotten a taste of what Jesus does in the life of people, like the transformation that goes on in the life of a person, the work of the Spirit among us, and you're like, yeah, I think I'm done. You're probably not coming back. I think that's what he's talking about. And definitely, I think it's more likely that you come back in 21st century America because Christianity is still a primary Religion, right? I think we actually just dropped below the 50% number when people say, Are you a Christian or not? Like, we just dropped below that. So we're still just hugely Christian as a nation, right? So you might come back, but that was not true in the first century. To come to Christ would basically destroy your life, or had definitely had the possibility of destroying your life. You probably, especially if you were a Jewish person, which is what Hebrews was directed to Jewish people. You were probably having to walk away from your family. They would probably cut you off and not talk to you anymore. You might lose your livelihood because now maybe you're doing some sort of work in the Jewish community, and the Jewish community is like, I don't want you to work for me. You're a cult, cultish person following that Jesus guy, right? Like, it, it was really, really, really hard to come to Christ in the first century. And so the chances of you coming and being a part of, of the community of people and then walking away, the pressures were just too great. You would never come back. That's what he's talking about. This is not talking about loss of salvation. It's talking about people coming and checking the church out, even for a long period of time, like experiencing what the church is about, and then walking away from it with full knowledge of what they're walking away from. And I'll show you why I think the text even shows us this. Because look at the very next verse. He gives an illustration. He says... For ground that drinks the rain, which often falls on it, and produces vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is t- also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. He gives a farming example. Again, they would have related to that a lot in the first century because there's farming everywhere. We're not really farmers, but, but here's the basic idea. I think we can all get it, right? If, if you um, purchase a plot of land that has nothing on it, it's just, it's just a, a dirt field, right? And the person might say, hey, yeah, there's a wheat crop under that soil, right? And you go, okay, I'll buy it, right? Do you know there's a wheat crop under there if it's just a dirt field? No. How are you going to know what's under the soil? When the rain falls and something starts to grow, right? And then you'll see, is it wheat? Is it a field of weeds? We don't know, but eventually, like, the real nature of the soil is going to show up. Does that make sense? That's what he's talking about. Going to church, being a part of the Christian community is one thing. But eventually the real you is gonna show up. Right? And maybe that shows up after 5 years or 10 years or whatever, but it's eventually gonna show up. And then like John says in 1 John 2:19, he says they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be evident that they all are not of us. You get what he's saying? He's like, there's people that have left the church, and again, keep in mind, in the first century, it was really difficult, right? To be in the church took a lot of stuff to do that. That there were people that were leaving the church, and John wasn't saying, oh yeah, they're just believers who are not in fellowship. (laughs) He didn't say they're, they're just believers who are, gosh, what's the terms? Like, they're carnal Christians, like that whole idea, right? Like, they're really Christians, but they're just walking away for now or whatever, right? He wasn't saying that. He said, how we know. We didn't know when they were among us because they were pretty good at faking it, right, with us. But we know they're not of us because they left. But they never were of us. Do you understand what he's saying? He didn't say they were Christians who left. He said they weren't Christians. We just didn't know they weren't Christians until they left, and then it was evident that they weren't Christians, right? Right? I'll give my dad as an example again. Again, he was a pastor, right? For, so for many years, he was like putting on that, like, that show with anybody who he had to put the show on with, right? But the moment he didn't have the pressure anymore of getting the paycheck from the church or, you know, eventually the pressure in our family wasn't really a real thing there either, that he just eventually was like, I don't care about Jesus, right? I think he cares. I think right now he's kind of in an Eastern mysticism place right now. Um, Buddhism is really attractive to him, right? Like, My dad was never a believer, and it eventually showed up. Are you guys tracking with that? Like, it showed up eventually. It's not always evident. That's the word he uses here. It's not always evident. It eventually does become evident. And I coined a new term thinking about this today. I think it's a new term. I mean, I've never heard of it before. But I think there are people who are chinos. Are you guys familiar with rhinos? Republicans in name only? I think there are Christians in name only. Is that a good, are we going with that? Okay, okay. You know what I'm saying? People go, you know I'm a Christian because I'm in America. I'm a Christian because I grew up in the church. I'm a Christian because my family loves Jesus. I'm a Christian because I'm a good person. I'm a, you know, there's like all sorts of things that people can say. But true Christians have been fundamentally changed. And God is now the one who keeps us. Jude talks about that, right? It's his work in our lives. And so that's, I think that's why the question comes up, is it's like, well, I think I'm an independent, autonomous person who can make choices for myself. Why couldn't I, at some point, make a choice to walk away from Christ? Uh, because you can't. Not here in Christ. Now, can you fake it for a little bit? Can you be really mad at God for a little bit? Can all these kind of things happen? For sure they can happen, right? But if you've been transformed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, you are different. You are someone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. That's just who you are now. And so even if you play in the darkness for a little bit, stop it. That's not who you are. You're always in the kingdom of light. And if you're a person who's a part of the darkness, and maybe you can kind of show that face and show up and be a nice person and that kind of stuff, it doesn't make you in the kingdom of light. The only person that can do that is Christ. The only way that that happens is through faith, taking your life and handing it over to him. And that's what's required. So I would say this. If you are someone who's enlightened, right, which is this last passage, you're someone who's been around the church. You're someone who knows the truth. But you know, I mean, you, you, you know. You know that you're not his, right? That your life isn't his, that you haven't handed over yourself to him, that you haven't entrusted yourself to him. Today's the day, get it done, hand it over. And if you're not gonna hand it over, stop lying to yourself. Stop lying to yourself. Let me pray for us. Lord, we love you. We want to follow you wherever you take us. You, you have us. We are holy ears. But Lord, if if maybe we've been faking it a little bit, maybe we've just been checking things out, checking you out, trying to figure Figure out what you're about, what your people are about. Lord, help us not to speak untruths to ourselves. Help us not to lie to ourselves. Just expose us. Help us to see ourselves for who we really are. And if we are in you, Lord, let us 100% rely on your complete payment and taking care of our sin because it exists and nothing will ever separate us from that. But Lord if we're not in you if we're someone who's thrown on the christian label for whatever reason makes it easier with our spouse who is a follower of you makes it easier to, you know, be a good christian person in the community or whatever. Are we just like being around this, you know, because Because it's a loving community. Lord, this morning, just make it painfully obvious to us. Help us to stop lying to ourselves. And help us to put our trust in you, fully and wholly and completely. In your name.